Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. What's up, everybody? It's Josiah on the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm glad you've joined me for another episode of mind-altering, earth-shattering real estate investment stories that are going to change your life and your future. And today, we've got an awesome one, man. I've got Richard Carey, and Richard has a super cool story. But before we dive into what Richard has done... You know, there are a number of paths to financial freedom through real estate investing, okay? Here are a few. One, buy class A investment properties with thin rental margin, but good appreciation, okay? Now, the obvious risk if you're buying a class A rental property is the tight cash flow, if it will cash flow at all. And when you have tight cash flow, you put yourself in a risky situation if rents compress at all, or you have vacancy, higher vacancy than you anticipated or whatever. So, you know, while you're getting that greater appreciation, if you're cash poor, it can put you out of the game. Okay. But it is an option. Okay. Option number two, buying B class rental properties with solid rental margin and solid appreciation. This is what I do. This is the, you know, good schools, low crime, located in an area that's appreciating and has appreciated and is trending in the right direction where you're getting, you know, on single families, 200 bucks a door or better. Um, that's what we do. And we love this option because our cash flow is good and we feel like we're getting great appreciation and we, pre- we predict that that's going to continue over the next 25 years. Okay. Here's another option and another path. Buy C-class rental properties with great cash flow and less appreciation than you know, class A or class B in many cases, um, but excellent cash flow. Okay. These properties are located in higher, uh, slightly higher crime um, areas than the A class and B class would be. Typically, the schools aren't quite as good, but um, the cash flow is better, right? The rent ratio is better. So, our guest, Richard, um, has taken path number three, but he's done it in cash. No debt. This guy has no debt. He's got 20 properties. He's making $10,000 a month in passive income, quote unquote, passive income. We know he's had to put a lot of work into this and he's managing his portfolio. He's got a property manager. He's managing the manager, if you will. That still requires some work. It's not completely passive, but 10,000 bucks a month on 20 paid for properties. And he is about to retire. He's a military guy. He lives in Montgomery, Alabama. His properties are in Montgomery, Alabama. And this is just a super cool story, man. This is a this is a way that you can reach financial freedom through real estate investing by living below your means and not having any debt if that's a path you choose. I choose to have debt and leverage on my properties because that's a strategy I've chosen. Richard chose to go a lower risk route and he's owned all these in cash. And um, that's certainly an option as well. So um, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode and hearing Richard's story. Um, I advise you to sit back, relax, and have a rotten time. 
Richard, I'm excited to have you on the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. No, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Absolutely, man. So uh, Richard and I met at Rod Cleef's uh, multifamily boot camp this last weekend in Baltimore. And um, there was uh, there was a lot of people there trying to learn the ropes on, you know, uh, getting getting some multifamily deals done. And so uh, that was a that was an exciting experience. And uh, we just got back from that. But anyway, I connected with Richard and uh, he shared with me uh, his story. And I thought it would be really great for him to do the same here on uh, the podcast. Um, Richard has 20 paid for single family homes, no debt. He's got no debt on his primary residence. And um, he's a military guy living in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and Richard's got $10,000 of passive income. That's net of operating expenses, $10,000 a month coming in off of his real estate. So, you know, the goal of the show is to, to help uh, the listeners achieve financial freedom through real estate. And Richard has pulled this off. So Richard, I wanted you to share your story, kind of give us the background on, on um, how, you, how you made this trek and how you achieve this. And then tell us kind of what you're looking to do going forward and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. And um, so a little bit of background on me. Um, my, my situation is unique, I think, for real estate investors in many, in many ways. I think one of the most unique things is that I'm in the military. Um, I'm currently serving. I'm in the 19th year of uh, my 19th year of being in the Air Force. And thank you for your service. We appreciate that. Oh, Oh, thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I've loved it. I've had an absolute blast. I've spent most of my career overseas, which I think greatly complicates the ability the ability to invest in real estate. And that's always been tough for me, but I've always had a strong de desire to invest in real estate. So I've found a way to make it work. And I'm retiring in August of 2020, which I'm very excited about. It's actually August 1st, but but who's counting? <laughs> and uh, and um, I'm at Maxwell Air Force Base, which is in Montgomery, Alabama, for my last assignment and I have an uh, a re approved retirement date. That happens to be where all my real estate is. It happens to be where my 20 single family homes are. And I'm renting a property there right now. So I don't have a primary residence. Uh, I'm just I'm just renting. And I, and I usually do that because um, uh, the numbers wouldn't work on buying the place, uh, you know, that I'm that I'm living in right now. I don't think it'd be a good rental uh, once I left. So um, that's kind of the, the quick background on me. And I think to tell my story in a quick nutshell, I kind of where I got to where I am today, that I, and, and I think it's a lot different than what most real estate investors have done. What I kind of did was I started off being very frugal in the military, uh, socking money away, you know, um, saving uh, everything that I could, me and my wife living way below our means. Uh, I know that when we lived in uh, Monterey, California, you know, the, the military gave us $2,300 a month for rent. And we lived in an apartment that was, you know, only $1,300. So that was an extra thousand that we were able to put away. Um, but doing things like that, um, we were always, uh, you know, not taking the vacations, you know, not um, not buying fancy furniture, not buying nice cars, not, you know, not, not, not buying nice clothes. 
and just and always investing kind of in very simple index funds, you know, and, and kind of just growing that. And that's what we did earlier, kind of in in my career. And uh, I bought a primary residence in 2003 in Alexandria, Virginia, a townhouse for $280,000. I thought it was the worst mistake of my life because I thought it was horribly overpriced at the time. And I didn't know what I was doing in real estate. And there weren't blogs and there weren't podcasts, or at least I wasn't aware of any of them. And um, I did that. And about a year later, that property that I bought for $280,000, uh, which I thought I overpaid for, was worth almost 450,000. Oh, wow. And then I thought like, like, wow, like I'm a genius. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to keep doing this and it's going to keep going up 150,000 every year for the rest of my life, which also, you know, ended up not being true. But, um, it was an interesting introduction to real estate. Um, and that got me excited and I tried to buy more properties, but they were kind of going up so fast in value that I, I, I was kind of scared. And, and uh, I actually ended up trying to flip new construction, was an, which is an interesting story. It's where you, you buy new construction before it's even built. You make a down payment on it. And then by the time it's done, you flip it to somebody else. And hopefully you get that profit you know, from the year or year and a half that it took to build. Sure. Well, everybody made money hands over fist flipping new construction between 2001 and 2006. I got started, I think, in 2005, and the the, the fun was kind of over by then, and I did not make money. <laughs> um, so I learned a valuable lesson that day about appreciation that sort of contradicted what I learned in 2003. So my, my, my sort of real estate story got started. Um, fast forward to 2013, uh, I moved to Maxwell Air Force Base, which is where I am now for a one year assignment. And they, um, uh, while I was there, I met another Air Force member. Do you want me to just keep going? Absolutely. Keep yeah. No, keep going. Okay. So they, I met another Air Force member there. And at this point, I just owned the one property in DC that I was renting out, and I wasn't making a lot of money on it because I, I think when you own high cost of live in a high cost of living area and you turn around and rent it out, you really don't make that much money usually. And, and I wasn't making a lot of money on this townhouse that I was renting out, even though I bought it two eighty and it was worth, you know, four fifty. Um, so I, I got to Montgomery, Alabama, and this other military member that I met, he introduced himself to actually to the whole class on the first day of this sort of training seminar that we, we had. And he was introducing himself to everybody, just typical stuff going around the room. And he said to the class, like, this is my name, this is where I'm from. And he, he had actually been living in, in Maxwell for the past few years, but the rest of us had just showed up. He says, I've been, I've been here, I've been here in, in Montgomery for a few years and I've been buying real estate and I'm like making a fortune on this real estate. And at this rate, like I'll be able to retire soon. And he's like, you know, nice to meet everybody. And everybody else just kind of ignored that comment. And I was like, what did that guy say? <laughs> you heard the word retire soon. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what up. did he say? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I kind of knew that like, like, you know, the way that my rental was going in DC, I mean, I couldn't have bought like a bunch of rentals and retired in a few years sure. for many reasons. But he said he bought a bunch of rentals and they were going well and he could retire in a few years. And so at the next break, I made a beeline for this guy. And I just started questioning him. I was peppering him with questions. 
wait, what's going on with these properties? How much are you buying them for? What do they cost? What do they rent out for? What are your expenses? Like, what about property management? What about when you leave? What are you going to do when you have to leave? And he, he, gave, he told me everything. He explained everything to me. All the numbers looked really good. And that was in disbelief. And I said, will you teach me how to do this? Will you show me? Because I'm going to do this. If you'll let me. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll teach you how to do this. And that's exactly what I did. I think he had four at the time. And so I bought six. I bought six houses in the next 10 months. And, uh, and what, I had the cash. This is what, what year? This is in 2013. 2013. And I had the, I had the cash to do this. And, and the funny thing was, I'd, I'd flipped houses in, in Alexander, Virginia, which is basically Washington, D.C. I'd flipped houses for uh, a few years, uh, 2008, 2009, with a partner. When I was living in Japan, I had a partner in, in D.C., and we flipped houses together, and I supplied the money. Basically, I was taking out mortgages, and he was doing the, the legwork in D.C. I was, I, and I was doing this with 20% down on, on mortgages. My down payments were eighty or ninety or a hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm. And so I had this money, you know, uh, laying around to make these down payments. Sometimes I was doing two at a time. But the houses in Montgomery were only, you know, between forty, between forty-five and well, actually one of them was thirty thousand. Between thirty thousand to forty-five, and at the most expensive, uh, sixty thousand. So. These houses were way cheaper than the down payments I was making on my flips in DC. Sure. So to me, these houses were cheap. And so I, in my mind, I was kind of like, why would I finance these places? I'll just pay cash for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's kind of why I went this cash angle. Uh, I actually financed one of the properties, one of the six, and it was really hard to do. Like a lot of banks were like, Wait a second. That's like not enough money, you know. It's, yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't like lending money on s- yeah, really small yeah. amounts. Yeah, and, and I had trouble figuring it out. And and in a lot of ways, it was just as expensive as financing a property that was five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So um, after I did it, a couple of months later, I just paid it off, and I was kind of like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to finance another property here in, in in Montgomery because of all the wasted money and the closing costs, right? Yep. Yep. So, um, that's, that's just what I decided to do. Uh, and, um, so that's kind of how I got to six. Now, if you want, I'll keep going and talk. Yeah. So so let's, let's, let's stop real quick and let's talk about, you you mentioned, this is what's going to be really helpful to the listeners. You mentioned, you you heard this guy talking about how he's going to be able to retire soon. You made a beeline for him. And then you started asking these questions. How much are you buying these for? What do they rent for? you know, what are your operating, ex- what's your operating expense ratio, that, that kind of stuff. Let's walk through these six that you bought, what you bought them for, what kind of renovations you did, what okay. your, what your total basis was, what they rent for, the equity you were able to build for yourself. I guess you bought them in cash, but I'd love to know, I mean, surely these were value add, right? So I'd love to know. Some kind of, of them were. Yeah, and so, I think the, yeah, the first one was value add and, and I did a poor job because because I was clueless. And the second one was moving ready. And then the third one was value add. And, and, sure. and you know, they were just all kind of different. All of them are kind of different. Sure. I, Let's talk about the first uh, one. The first one was my, what Rod Cleef would call my seminar, right? It, it, was, <laughs> it was tough. You know, it was tough and it almost broke me, you know, and, and, my, and, my, and my wife thought I was going to quit <laughs> and give up on real estate. Um, 
I bought it for, I think I bought it for $30,000. Okay. And, um, it ended up renting. I think it ended up renting for seven fifty. Okay. Just uh, three, three beds. I believe, I believe it's up to, I believe it's up to 900 now, gotcha. but I believe it, it started renting for seven fifty. but, uh, it needed some work. It needed lots of work. It, it, it had a cat lady that lived in it. And I believe that cats had, just pissed all over the house and <laughs> it had carpets, but there was beautiful hardwood floors underneath. And the, the piss had like, I pulled up all the carpets, but there was these nasty stains that had turned black all over the beautiful hardwood floors. Mm. So Lovely. I, I paid somebody to uh, sand down the hardwood floors, but I, I did something that I, I think it could have been done way, way cheaper. Uh, I think I spent some absurd amount of money to get the hardwood uh, floors, uh, looking nice. I think I spent like $2,000 on it. And, and, and I think it looked like something that would be in a governor's mansion. You know, when, when I, you know, I think you probably could have spent probably, you know, three or 400 to have the right guy come and, and, and probably make this look just fine. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, it was just a rookie mistake. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing and I, I didn't get enough bids and I, you know, I just, I don't know what I don't know. I am not sure. a handy person. And I was, I was trying to do all this stuff on my own and, I didn't necessarily have all the help I needed yet. Another strange thing that happened with this house was that after I closed, I had an inspection, but my inspector turned out not being very good. And after I closed and I, and I cleaned up some of the trash that was in the house, there was a lot of trash in the middle of one of the add-on rooms. And when I cleared the trash, <laughs> found out that there was actually, <laughs> the trash was there for a reason. It was actually covering up a part of the floor it was actually raised up more than two feet. <laughs> there was oh. something that was literally pushing up the floor more than two feet in the middle of the room. And the inspector missed that? And the inspector didn't care. He missed it. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, I tried to go after him and, you know, like whatever, couldn't find him. And, yeah. you know, he like, didn't have a license and it was a huge mess. And so I lost a lot of sleep over trying to figure out how to fix this, uh, this, uh, protrusion in the middle of this room. <laughs> I had inspectors telling, I had, I had, I had contractors telling me, you know, I had numbers as high as $15,000, right? <laughs> uh, I, I probably spent an absurd amount of time and people coming through. Finally, some guy showed up, he, he took out a sledgehammer and he just started like hacking at it. And he just started like pulling stuff away and he found a route and he's like, I'll fix this for you for, you know, a, a thousand bucks. And I'm like, oh my God. And that, this is like after going through like different people for like two weeks. Yeah. So that was one of my challenges. But anyway, um, I think I ended up spending like 15,000 getting everything ready on this. I think probably I could have done it for six or 7,000, but I just made so many rookie mistakes. Um, so anyway, you know, 15,000, so 45,000 all in, but it's renting for 750. Okay. So, you know, I'm fine. Right. I mean, I'm sure definitely not hurting, but I lost a lot of sleep. I was totally stressed out. Uh, I kind of, at the time I hated the process, uh, and I tried to do a lot of stuff on my own that I probably didn't need to like install blinds and do all kinds of silly work, uh, that I just probably didn't need to do. And um, my wife's like, well, like that was a pain in the butt. Guess we're done with real estate. And I told my wife, no, we're not. Like, I'm going to buy two more right now. 
And so we bought two more in a couple of weeks. I think this was around Christmas. And I don't know why, but there was just, just because it was like pipes were freezing and like the market was just horrible. I just got like two really good deals right around Christmas. And I think two offers got accepted within two days of each other. And, w- and one of them was a, a, a place that was moving ready. It was a four bedroom, three, uh, a four bedroom, two bath um, that was moving ready. I didn't even have to vacuum. And, um, it, it, uh, I bought it for 45 and it rented right away for 900. I mean, oh, you wow. know, 2% rent you ratio. So yeah. So you, for you the can't list- go wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listeners who don't know, the rent ratio is going to be the rent divided by the, uh, the, the, uh, total value of, of the property. Right. So, yeah. um, what did you say the value was? 45. 45. So if you're renting it for 900, you take the 900 divided by 45,000 and that gives you 2%. And the, the rent ratio is important because you can kind of pretty easily just look at a rent ratio and know how well it will cash flow. And so this is going to cash flow really nicely. Yeah. So anyway, um, okay. So your first one, I, I ran the rent ratio on that. That was about 1.6%. And now yeah. you've got a 2%. You didn't even have to vacuum this thing. It's ready to go. Um, yep. So, so here's a question on, on this portfolio that you're building. Sometimes these cheaper properties can be more management intensive and aren't in the best yeah. areas. Like what, what yeah. kind of areas are these in and, and have you had issues managing the tenants in these properties or how, how's that gone? I can talk about the tenant that went into that second property. Um, I had to evict the first tenant. I think it was the first tenant. Uh, right away, but there's a reason for that, and it's and it was an interesting lesson for me, and it was my own fault. And then and then let me get to the the types of neighborhoods they're in. I remember the first tenant, and it was in a situation where the the I was using a property management company, and the reason I was doing that was because I knew I was going to move away uh, in a few months, and I wanted to start working with a property management company and work out the kinks and sort of like make sure that I had a Make sure that I had everything worked out with them so that I could uh, have processes in place that were going to work when I moved away. Makes sense. And actually had this idea that I would be, I needed to find a way to be able to uh, do value add rehab projects once I was gone and then be able to hand it over to them. And we'll talk more about that. But um, they called me up and they said, we found somebody for this, uh, uh, you know, this property, number two, right? We found somebody, you know, but she's like really nice and we like her a lot, but she's like, it's a hard luck story, you know, and she doesn't quite have like the, the right credit, you know, but her like her husband's left her, but like she seems really nice. She's like a hard worker. And I don't know, like we're, we're split here in the office. Like half of us think you shouldn't rent to her, but like two of us think you should. Like it's really your decision, you know? I don't know, and I don't know why they like brought this decision to me, but they did. And so I'm kind of like, oh, this is really cool. Like I'm, I'm powerful. I get to make a decision. <laughs> um, yeah, let's rent to her. So anyway, we evicted her uh, two months later, oh, three man. months later, I think. Never, never made a payment, huh? So no. So um, that was a great lesson for me. It was a great lesson. Um, you know, if, if there was any question, then just don't do it, right? Absolutely. If any, yeah. any, if there. They they have this they had this system of a green yellow red light system about credit. They had all this like great stuff that they used to pick people, 
And I told him, I said, from now on, just follow your system, right? And don't, don't, you, don't, put, don't put any like heartstrings into it, you know? I mean, right. I hate and to say that. But. Rod said this at his, uh, the multifamily boot camp this last weekend. He said, it takes, it, it takes a lot longer to get a bad tenant out and release a property than it does to keep a good tenant. And so if, you're, yeah. if your unit is vacant, wait and find a good tenant as opposed to putting someone in there that's bad and then having to get them out and release it and, you know, fix the property up for, for the damage that's been, you know, made during that time and that kind of thing. And that's been our experience too. We, you know, yep. so um, anyway, proceed. Yeah. These are, uh, these are good, solid C neighborhoods uh, there. You know, I mean, Montgomery, Oh my goodness. Do we have some sketchy neighborhoods? We've got C minuses, we've got D pluses and we've got, We've got the war zones. You've got the D's. We've got it all here. Sure. We've got we've got the places where, you know, you want to talk about like the Clayton Invest scams, and 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 the, you, you you want to talk about like you could rip people off by you know the the bad multifamilies and the and the you know the fifteen or or fifteen or twenty thousand dollar homes that are war zones that you could never sell once you buy. That's all here in Montgomery. But but we're buying in nice neighborhood. I say nice. I mean neighborhoods that are you know it's blue collar, and uh, our property management company, you know, fully paints and you know new carpets and everything is super clean in the house and stuff gets fixed promptly, and um, there is some crime and there you know kind of petty crime and there's some issues and the schools are not great in these areas. But I mean, that's true of like everywhere in Alabama. Alabama has like the worst schools. I think it's fourth worst in the country, unfortunately. It's not necessarily where I'd want to live personally, but it's just like, you know, it's a blue collar neighborhood and I would call it a solid, solid C neighborhoods. And I, I've made a point to buy in neighborhoods that I'm not going to have uh, serious crime and I'm not going to have a drug problem and I'm not going to have serious turnover. Gotcha. Now that being said, uh, it's like more it's it's more turnover than I don't know you'd have in like a solid B or a solid A neighborhood. Which brings me to my management company. My management company charges ten percent, even though I have twenty properties. Um, but my management company charges nothing, no fee for rewriting a lease, and no fee. Um, you know, for uh, filling a vacancy that's built into the 10%. And I feel like I have uh, a little higher turnover than uh, certainly than I do in my townhouse in, in Alexander, Virginia, DC. You know, uh, sure. I think my turnover is, is certainly shorter than two years. It's probably like around a year and a half. It's probably my average turnover. So um, I think it's helpful to, to not have a, you know, a leasing fee that's a half month's rent or a month's rent. I think that that'd be very hard on me. Sure. And so what, I mean, what you're, what you're commenting on there is, is what we've seen as well. The, the B class areas are going to be less profitable on the rent. They're going to be a little bit easier to manage tenant wise. They're going to have typically better, a little bit better schools, um, things like that. But you're not, you're, sacrificing on your cash flow, like typically a little bit more expensive to buy as well. Um, and then, you know, so it's, it's kind of figure out your strategy and there's a lot of different ways you can go with this. 
you chose to go the way of owning in cash, no debt, creating a lot of cash flows. You can have this passive income, if you will. It's not completely passive. We know that, but um, semi-passive income. You got it managed by a property manager for ten percent a month, and um, and you got your you got your system laid out, and you were able to scale this to twenty properties and create ten thousand dollars a month and and passive income, which is which is awesome. I mean, that's what a lot of people are going for. You know, uh, owning. You know, like if you flip this on its head and you owned in really great areas with very little income, your strategy is going to change a lot because you don't have this ten thousand dollars a month profit rolling in. Um, yeah. you would instead have very little profit rolling in until the whole thing's paid off, but then hopefully it's gone up in value a lot. You could sell it, stick it in an index right. fund, live off the interest. So there's a number of different ways to go here, but I'm, I'm really enjoying this because, um, you're sharing how you've been able to pull this off. And I mean, this is, this is real. I mean, this is $10,000 a month is nothing, is nothing to turn your nose up at. That's awesome, man. And you're about to retire. And what do you, I mean, what's your, what's your long-term goal with this? Like, are you, are you going to start buying multifamily and using the same strategy or what, what are you going for after That's you right. retire? Yeah. So you saw me, you met me at this, uh, multifamily conference, right? And this is interesting. I've been doing real estate. I think I've been doing real estate for a long time, but because I've been so busy in the military, I mean, I've been, I've been overseas most of my career, which I really haven't talked about yet. I haven't talked about the managing from overseas issue yet, but I've been overseas most of my career. I spent two years in Guam, five years in Japan, three years in Germany, two years in Korea, you know, while all the stuff was going on. And, um, you know, um, so I was never in the States for any of this. I did all of this from overseas. I only, I only was in Montgomery, Alabama for 10 months, and the rest all happened from overseas. It was all Skype, MLS, you know, or you know, short sale or auction website or you know, just, just different, different methods. Sure. Um, that thing that you met me at, Rod Cleef, not only was it the first multifamily real estate um, event that I've ever been to, it's the first real estate event at all that I've ever been to, uh, unfortunately. But uh, I'm, now that I'm in the States, I'm going to start going to these things. But my, my strategy is multifamily. I, I do want to own multifamily. I, I think I have single family figured out, and I think I've done that, and I've done different aspects of it. And honestly, for me, it's it's fun. I, I I love it. It's and it's a challenge, and it's something that I I want to learn the next uh, tier of real estate, which I believe would be multifamily. So um, I want to buy a multifamily property, probably here in Montgomery, maybe in Birmingham. I want it to be somewhere that's you know that I can be a little hands on and and, and understand. Uh, I want to buy, and I want to buy it myself. I think a lot of people that are that were at this Rod Cleef event uh, are are going to are planning on syndicating a multifamily property, and and the reason they're doing that in a lot of cases because is because actually they don't have the money to 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 buy a multifamily. In a lot of cases, that's one of the reasons they're going to syndicate. Uh, I'm in a position financially where I can buy a small multifamily on my own. And I'd like to do that. So that's my plan. Probably something around a million dollars, you know, which could be 20 or 30 properties here in Montgomery. 
And I think that process of maybe even being involved in management myself, being involved in the rehab myself, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And also financially, you know, it could, could be something great for cash flow. So that's my short-term plan. Uh, maybe after that, maybe with partners, uh, you know, getting into something bigger. And maybe that wouldn't be in Montgomery. That could be anywhere. Sure. But that's, that's my future. Sure. Uh, that, that's, that's what I have on my mind right now. And so with, with this multifamily deal, obviously the, you know, a million bucks, that's a lot of cash. You're planning on using some debt on that and just using oh, yeah. the down not, payment yeah, as your own I, I think, equity on yeah, that. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't go think, don't go thinking that I've, uh, you know, got a million dollars in index funds and I'm selling it and, and buying <laughs> a multi. I don't think it's smart to, <laughs> to, to get into multifamily with cash or yeah, that's necessarily yeah. why a wise use of money. Um, no, I plan on using debt. I, it's not. It's not that I'm, you know, s- such a Dave Ramsey fan that I actually believe you have to do all of your real estate investing with cash. Sure. Um, I love. Just that, I, I've talked yeah. about this before. Like I love Dave Ramsey to the point that he says own all real estate in cash. That's where I part ways with him. But I think, I think getting out of debt, living below your means, you know. Buy and, and like you've done, like buying, you know, getting started in real estate and cash is a great idea. Renting your primary residence is a great idea, you know, if the numbers don't work out. Um, and then, you know, it, but at some point, it's like you're saying, like you get to a point where you, you know, using debt makes some sense because the thing's going up in value so much and, you know, just you're limited by how much cash you have. Um, and I see the most successful real estate investors and investors in general doing what you've done. I mean, Warren Buffett's a proponent of the same thing. He said, live below your means. Um, you know, don't, don't take on debt unless it's on things that are going up in value, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah, I just think it's smart. Like if you get into real estate and you're in debt up to your eyeballs, student loans, car loans, living in a house you can't afford, then you go buy a rental property, life's going to teach you a very hard lesson <laughs> pretty quick, right? That's right so yeah. it's, it's just That's the right, way it yeah. works. Um, because you have experiences like you had on your first one where you get in there, you make some mistakes, you overspend, you can't get it rented quick, or you have an eviction or something, and all of a sudden yeah. you're out of your cash, you know? Yeah, so, so. yeah, you know, something else happened to me on the first one that I forgot to mention, and that was it ended up being vacant for three months, you know, just had trouble renting it out. And, and of course, I was starting to think this is the biggest mistake of my life. And of course, I guess it wasn't a huge transfer mistake because, you know, it wasn't, it's not like it's a $500,000 house, but sure. I'm thinking, okay, this is a big mistake. Why did I do this? Nobody's going to rent it. You know, <laughs> it's ugly, you know, whatever. And then while it was empty, once the, once renters got in, which, which took more than three months, when they, when they went to turn the water on, all the water, like, didn't work and and, the, and it was like running into the front yard mm. and, and they, they call me up and they're like something's wrong the water's not working it's running into the front yard so I sent the plumber in plumber's like oh somebody came stole all your copper <laughs> <laughs> lovely <laughs> so yeah they, they it, it had a crawl space and somebody went under the house while it was vacant stole the copper for you know for probably a hundred dollars of scrap and, um, I think it cost me 2000 to rewire everything. Uh, so, yeah. you know, that's, that's life. Oh, I think yeah. that's probably happened to me two more times here in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, it's just the cost of doing business. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, um, okay. So let's, let, let's talk about, um, you said you've, you've tried to set this up to manage it 
while you've been, yeah. you know, out of the country. Let's talk right. about how you pulled that off. Maybe some issues you yeah. faced and and best sure. pra- best practices for those that own things that are basically not where they live and can put their hands on it. Yeah. So, um, I think trust is a big part of this, but I don't think you can do all of this without ever, you can't do long distance real estate investing in my opinion, without ever stepping foot in that city. Okay. Without ever stepping foot in that city and looking at things. And I don't think you can also do it without ever meeting that management company face to face. Uh, those are the two things that I would caution people. Um, I think that being successful in real estate has a lot to do with understanding your market. Somebody has to understand it. Probably should be you. I hope it's you. Um, I mean, I guess it could be your management company, but it's probably would be nice if it's you. Um, but I think that it was, it was important to my success that I understood the neighborhoods that I bought in. And it's also because I lived there for 10 months. And then, you know, it's not like I lived there for 20 years, but I lived there for 10 months. And so I, I had an understanding of the neighborhoods in the city and what was good and what was bad. And I got a lay of the land and I got time to, to, to get to know my, um, my management company a little bit. This could be condensed. You could do this a lot quicker. I mean, I think you could fly into a city and spend a couple of weeks, you know, vetting a management company if you needed to and, and, and driving the neighborhoods and figuring things out. So it could be condensed, condensed if it had to be. But I believe in that face-to-face, and I believe in that driving a city yourself. Uh, but the important thing to me was I had time to work with this management company, you know, that's 10 months where they were managing while I was there. They were sending me like these reports, you know, every month. And I was kind of like, well, I don't really need this information. I'd rather, you know, I don't, I don't want it all in one. I want it by property. And like, I want I want all the expenses on one page. And like, I, I, I want to know the vacancies as a separate report. Like I was kind of working things out with them, you know, and they were calling me a lot on small things. And I was saying, you know, I don't want to call on everything. I only want to call on these situations. I guess you could sort of say I was training them or, you know, setting them up for the, the kind of, this is how I think we should work together and, and finding that they were very responsive. And, and also I was, you know, they were calling me about kind of small issues like, Hey, we need to replace like this stove and a new one's going to cost this much, but we could probably get you a used one and it'd cost this much. And like, what do you think? And I guess what I realized was they were very concerned about my costs. Like basically they, it seemed to me like they were, they were nitpicking over smaller details and trying to save me money. Like, Hey, if you do this, you could save 200 bucks, but we're not, you know, but it might not last as long. Like, and I guess my point is I could tell that these were honest people that weren't trying to rip me off. And even on top of that, it just seemed like they were trying to keep my cost down. And I felt like to me, this is pure gold, right? This is, this is a management company that is trustworthy and honest and is concerned about my expenses. Totally. And so these people, and it's, they're, they're, they're smaller, smaller companies, smaller is they, they have like 350 of their own. And then they have like 150 properties of like people like me. Yeah. So, so, let, so let me stop you real quick. So let's talk yeah. about, let's talk about some red flags when picking a management company. Okay. Sure. One, they don't respond to you quickly. 
Oh, red, yeah. <laughs> red flag number one, especially if you're new, if you're a p- potential new customer and you can't get them to call you back in a timely manner, don't hire them, period. Well, sure. All right. Here's another one. They don't, wa- they don't watch costs. They don't watch expenses. That will bleed you dry. And so if you can find a property management company that will return phone calls in a timely manner and will watch expenses on your behalf, like Richard's saying, that's huge. Another another thing is their fees. Look at their fee structure, right? You were talking about how your management company is charging 10% of rents. When it's vacant, they're not making money. They don't charge a, a, a lease fee. They don't, they're not nickel and diming you on their fees. Make sure you have a good handle on the fee structure of the management company so you know what you're paying and and factor in all those different costs, the leasing fee, if they charge uh, if they upcharge repairs, you know, um, the monthly recurring fee, some, some management companies have, you know, fees for sending someone out to do an inspection and all these different things. Like you got to properly vet these management companies and then look at how many properties they're managing, how long they've been doing this, try to get some referrals. Like, I, I mean, firing a property manager is not fun and I've had to fire several of them, but when you find a good one, they are worth their weight in gold. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll add something else on to this and you just, you brought it up, but you need to, you need to find out how firing them is going to work because I've actually seen situations where the contract that, that you have with them, sort of the lease agreement makes it hard to fire them, yeah. right? Where, where, where there's some sort of a fee to fire them or, or they have to, you have to wait a certain amount of time. Make sure that you're able to fire them. Totally. I've actually I've actually had them change the contract so that I was able to fire them without paying a fee. And uh, they're kind of like we don't I said like I'm not going to I'm not going to do this unless you change this part of the contract that says I can't fire you right. without paying this fee. Right. And they're like, "Well, why do you want to change that? We're, we're not going to fail you." And so if you're not going to fail me, then change it. Then yeah. change it. If you have so much confidence, then change it. Yeah. And they re- changed it, and and then I fired him. So just, yeah. just something to keep in mind. <laughs> red flag number. Uh, yeah, another red flag. If there is a fee for getting rid of them, or if you can't switch management companies when you want to, like that's that's concerning. Like you need to be able. Yeah. Like if they're wanting to lock you into something when it's not in your best interest. That's not good. I mean, you you want the best man, the best property management companies that I've hired. I can get rid of them at any moment, and you know what? They do a great job. <laughs> so, they I haven't had to get and, rid uh, of those guys. You just know? like Rod Cleef says, "Ask me how I know." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Been there, done that. Got the T-shirt. So, um, all right. So yeah, you you found this. The prop- other thing too, like found you found this property the, management you, company about vetting these guys, and you're living yeah, out of yeah. town. You yeah, and I I wanted to also echo what Richard's saying here to invest, you know, in in a market that you're not living in, you either need boots on the ground or you need something, something to give you some, some eyes on what's going on. And so, so I invest in Fort Worth, Texas, where I used to live. I did appraisal work there for about eight years. Um, you know it then, you know the area. know it really well. Live there. I don't currently live there. We're buying stuff there, but I know the neighborhoods really well. I invest in Fort Worth. I invest in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I also lived and did appraisal work. And then I invest in Huntsville, Alabama, where I currently live. And in Fort Worth, where we're buying, we have a boots on the ground guy going out, getting eyes on these properties, managing our contractors, checking stuff for us. We've got a great property management company. Same in Little Rock. We're not actively buying in Little Rock right now, but we've got a killer property management company there. 
and um, and then stuff here, I go mess with that. So I echo what you're saying on like, you got to know the markets and and like, if you don't have a good handle on the neighborhood you want to be in and, and stuff, like be be very careful. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to give, I want to share now what I think is my, my biggest hack for my, my portfolio. Uh, I, I think the, the biggest hack that I have, the, the, my biggest point of my success with my properties. And, and it's this, it was the most important thing I did. Um, I needed to keep adding properties once I was overseas, but I needed to have someone manage uh, distressed properties once I bought them and get them to the point where they were, they'd be move-in ready. That That's tricky, right? Who's going to do that for sure. me? So I actually uh, talked to my property manager company about that. And I said, would you be willing to manage the rehabs for me? And then just, you know, like, I'll charge me some kind of a fee, you know? And, and basically at first they're like, well, that's not, we don't want to rehab. We don't want to sort of be responsible for that much work. You know, we'll do like a standard make ready, but we don't want to do that kind of heavy thing. And I said, I'm going to buy like a bunch more, you know, it's going to be worth it for you guys. And they said, well, let's just try this once. And, uh, we did it and it worked out and, you know, they, they basically, it was, it was the cost of the contractors plus 10%, you know, on top of that up to a cap. And then, um, it worked. And we did that for the rest of the properties, 14 more properties. And that was key to me. It was key to me. So my property management company was also, you know, the ones that were managing my rehabs and then they just took it over and managed it for me. Sweet. And that's another reason that I had no problem paying them that 10%. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so these, these ladder purchases that were in Montgomery, were you buying these while you were out of the country? Yeah, I was in Germany and then I was in um, Korea. I don't, I don't know if I bought any when I was in Korea. I think I bought them all in Germany over a period of uh, three years. Okay, so so when you would find one, um, you knew the areas um, from having lived in Montgomery. Uh, When you would find one, would you have the property management company go inspect it for you, or how did you go through that process? So yeah, so let me see if I can kind of remember this. Uh, If I remember right, um, I'd find one, and uh, and my uh, real estate agent would go look at it and snap a bunch of pictures for me, a bunch more and send them to me. I'd be like, yeah, that looks good. I mean, you'd make a low ball offer on it. And then if, you know, if, if they kind of, you know, even show any interest, then, then I'd be like, then my manager, then my um, real estate agent would take someone from the management company with them to go look at it. And the manager company would snap a bunch of pictures too and give their opinion. And sometimes a management company would be like, well, I don't know about the floor plan. Or you know what? Even though we have something on the next street over, actually this street, we, we actually ha- have had trouble renting properties on this street. Or, so sometimes a management company would give very valuable advice you know, about the floor plan or the neighborhood, and I would, I would pass on that house. So, because mm-hmm. obviously uh, real estate agents, they don't care. They just want you to buy the damn property, right? Right. Um, so I'd use the real estate agent first, property manager second, then I'd get it under contract and uh, I'd have an inspector come look at it. After the inspector looked at it, I'd usually be able to knock, knock some more money off of the price and then I'd close on it and give it to the management company. So were you buying all of these? And by the way, the property manager takes a bu- or the, uh, the inspector takes a bunch more pictures. So I get a bunch of pictures, right, from three different people. I get them from my 
uh, you know, real estate agent, property manager, and then inspector. So uh, uh, yes, I'm not there in person, but I'm getting a crap load of pictures from people. Sure. So were, were you buying all of these off the MLS pretty much? Um, yes, uh, shorts, but you know, but some are short sales. Uh, and when you're putting in these short sales, a lot of times, uh, you're hearing sometimes six to eight months later that you got them. Mm. Uh, so you just gotta kind of be ready for that. I was always ready for that because it's not big money or anything, but you just gotta be ready for that. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else, uh, sometimes you kind of I can't remember the names of the websites, HomeAway, or you know, you, you had to use these websites to 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 go through certain processes to buy HUD homes or different things. Sure. Um, uh, but mostly, but but they were usually listed on the MLS, but you just had to go through some some ass pain to to actually buy them. So, um, so this, I mean, this portfolio, you're owning this in cash. It's kicking off a good amount of cash. Was your strategy just basically reinvesting the profits you're making? from your portfolio back into buying more. And, and another question I had was, you know, there, how much are you keeping in reserves for each one of these properties? I don't, I guess I don't think of it that way, but, it, but I always seem to have a lot of cash sitting around. If that, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, there's always enough cash for another property or two, but it's also enough cash for reserves, sure. if, if that makes sense. Sure. But I, I don't necessarily have a strategy where I call it reserves or call it enough cash for another property. But there's enough. I mean, there's there's uh, a lot of cash sitting around waiting for something. I, I'm having trouble um, finding something to do with the cash gotcha. because yeah. uh, deals dried up. Um, you know, the these all seem like great numbers, and I'm I'm sure the listeners are probably all want to hop on the MLS and start investing it. Uh, Montgomery, Alabama, but <laughs> I'm sorry to report that I'm not getting those deals anymore. Yeah, so. sure. Sure. All right. Well, man, this has been, this has been great. I've, I've loved this. Um, tell us, tell us a couple books you would recommend the listeners check out. Um, you know, I, you know, I've, somebody was saying this, I don't know why it's at the tip of my tongue right now, the, the never split the difference book, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Voss? Is that his name? Oh, the man. FBI negotiator. I think that might be his name. Okay. He was an FBI negotiator. I like that book a lot. Uh, I, I like having it on audio. I think it's something you got to listen to several times. It's just, if you're a real estate investor, I think it's really important to be able to negotiate like that because, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it could, it, it could, you know, it could be the difference between tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? If, you, Absolutely. if you're a triggered negotiator. Yeah, Chris Voss. Um, oh man, I'm th- I'm having trouble thinking of the name of this book. There's this book, The Black Swan. Are you familiar with that book? The Black Swan. I think I've heard of that. I've not read that one. Yeah, I have read Never Split um, the Difference. It was great. There's a book called The Black Swan, and 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 I'm trying to think of the guy's name, but uh, he's a very kind of contrarian guy when it comes to what most people think about the markets. But basically. Um, it's a kind of book where he talks about, he's a kind of person that's very, he likes to talk about chance and risk and kind of its role in our lives and how we a lot of times uh, under underestimate the role of chance and risk in our lives. And he get, he if you read that book, The Black Swan, or any of his other books, I think it gives a very good understanding of the markets 
money and um it's made a huge difference in my life so i I think these are uncommon recommendations. I wasn't going to say rich dad, poor dad. I think uh, never split the difference is, is um, one of, I hear a lot of people recommend. The black oh, I guess that is. No, I guess that is. The black swan. Is that um, yeah. Tlaib? Is that, does that sound like the right yeah, author? Yeah, for that? Nas- Nassim Tlaib. Yeah, yeah, Nassim Tlaib. Yeah. Um, cool. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, but yeah, ne- never split the difference. I, I got it on audiobook and oh no, you're right though. That that is a uh, I think a bigger pockets favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a good one. But um, okay, so so last Nassim so, Taleb, like his stuff, just I think anti fragile is another one of his. Okay, um, his stuff is amazing. Uh, it's uh, when it comes to money and markets. I feel like he's got it down better than anybody else and people just don't talk about him very much. Very cool. All right, Richard, man, this has been awesome. Um, what would be your, your parting advice for, you know, investors that are wanting to become financially free through real estate? Um, yeah. what, what would be your, your, I guess, advice on how they can pull this off? I think the thing I'd want to say is, you know, I'm, I'm more conservative than most are. I, we just went to this conference where uh, everybody is trying to get into multifamily investing through syndication. And I think a lot of them are there, but financially, they're not ready to be there yet. And I think, and, and I see this on bigger pockets a lot. And I think what I want to say to people is yes, invest in real estate, but make sure that you're investing from a financial position of strength. Uh, do the common sense stuff first if you still need to do those things, like pay off your high debt, maybe get rid of uh, the fancy cars or the Harleys if you have them or the or the big boats, uh, and take care of your big problems. Do not take out a lot of debt and get into real estate because you think that will get you out of debt. Uh, that's my advice, uh, you know. And don't pay a ton of money to a guru. Totally. When you're still in a bad financial position. Totally. It kills me. Yep. And, and I know some people will probably disagree and with And by this. the way, that, that happened this last weekend, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, oh, absolutely. But I mean, it kills me to see people that are up to their eyeballs in debt, that don't own any real estate, paying an exorbitant amount of money to gurus when they could apply that money to getting themselves out of debt into a better financial position and then start their investing off on the right foot, they're investing, you know, path off on the right foot. Because like we talked about earlier, if you put yourself in a risky position to start, I mean, real estate is got, I mean, it's basically a, just a problem solving business and you're going to have so many things p- crop up that you don't anticipate that's going to require money and cash reserves. If you don't have that cash reserve there, you better have a partner that's got it, or you better get yourself in a position where you can have it before you start, because it's going to be required. Um, but Richard, man, uh, you're killing it. I love this. I love this story. And I know you're going to continue to. Let's stay in touch on the multifamily deals. I'm, I'm also hunting a, a good apartment deal as well. And when you start needing to, to team up with, partner up with somebody, keep me in mind because I'm doing the same. Definitely. So, um, yeah, definitely. I need to get up and see. I need to get up yeah. there and see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on up. Anytime you're in Huntsville, uh, give me a call and we'll, we'll grab lunch or something. And, and, uh, if I'm in Montgomery, I'll do the same. So thanks for Good. sharing. Thanks for sharing your story. And, um, and, uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. All right. See you later. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
I'd love to connect with you. So please hit me up on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor or on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. If you want to know more about this episode, check out our show notes along with the blog at dailyrealestateinvestor.com. And don't forget to sign up for the mailing list while you're there. We'll keep you up to date on the book in the works as well as new episodes. And tune in next time for another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor. And do me a massive favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review for me and share the show with your friends. Your support means the absolute world to me. And know that I will do everything within my power to help you reach financial freedom through real estate investing. I love you each and believe you're capable of far more than you think possible. 